What's up, everyone? This week on the pod, we are tackling a giant question. What is the best year of hardcore? Good God, man. Dan, this was hard, right? Impossible. I mean, it's impossible because you want to pull your favorite your favorite pieces of evidence from over many years. But when you've got to synthesize it down, it makes for a really interesting question. Yeah. And, and you know, we're going to pick a lot of older years, most likely. No spoilers. But... The reason why hardcore is so great is because of the history and the building blocks and because it leads us to now. I've never been more excited about hardcore than I am right now. And, you know, last year was was great musically, but it was really, really rough with no shows because hardcore is a participation sport. You know, it's like you want to get the records, learn the songs and go to the show, you know, with without like the show experience there, it is something different. And so with this all opening up, I'm so excited. Um, there's a bunch of great stuff coming up. I've seen everyone posting about it. Uh, Dan, you're going to a show soon. Yep, I'm going to the the Bay Area Death Match <laughs> coming up uh, very soon. Drain Tsunami Gulch. It's gonna and Zabalba. It's gonna be absolutely insane. I know someone's gonna break their neck, dude, and I hope it's not you, Dan. <laughs> I hope it's not me too. And the thing that, you, you know, what's really poignant about you saying it's a participation sport, it is. But part of that participation even has nothing to do with the record, the single. It's the community. And yeah, we found a lot of community that we've done online and through Zoom and through pods and through uh, posts and discussions and forums. But there's something about that just all being in the same room and socializing and just talking hardcore in person is can't wait to get back to it. You know? Yeah. I mean, we met in real life going to hardcore shows, right? That's right. Something like yeah. 25 years ago and we're still friends. We're not like podcast friends, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. With the hardcore shows, like I would have never met you. So it's something special and that's something that carries on till today. I'm excited. Cause on July 3rd, uh, Dead Heat is playing Ventura. It's a record release show. They're playing with Stalag 13. They're playing with Regulate. Uh, Jesus Christ, a bunch of bands are playing. Railers playing. Let's see. Oh, The Fight is going to be there, dude. One of my oh, favorite records yeah. of the last year. So uh, it's going to be wild, dude. It's going to be wild. And I'll see everyone there. So come say hi. And go say hi to Daniel in NorCal, you know? And if you got some pent-up aggression, you know, of the last two years of us doing this pod, you haven't seen us in person in a year. Go ahead and uh, try to give one of us a smack. What's up? <laughs> yeah, give a, give us a, a kiss rather than a slam. That's right. I would. These prefer... old bones can't take it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Give me a nice big hug, you know, and a kiss on the cheek. You know, that that's the participation we're looking for. But uh, yeah, we're gonna dive into this. This episode is wild. Please support the pod. Go to 185milesouth.com. There is a playlist for every episode. Also. Subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to it. And it's been a while since I've seen a review. So if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please take the time to just write a review. Also, if you want to go the extra mile, you can go to patreon.com slash 185 miles south. Become a monthly Patreon. These are the people that keep the pod alive. If the Patreons weren't supporting, I would quit tomorrow. But uh, <laughs> I don't because I love them, you know? Well, 
the thing is with the with the um you know writing a review or something like that it, it may just be rhetoric that you're hearing because you know this is the intro all the time that you hear on every pod asking for this stuff but it really helps pluck that out of the mire of a million pods to where it starts like messing with these fucking bullshit algorithms that control our lives but it allows it to like you know blossom a little bit and get out there to maybe you know some kid in bali who is just looking up hardcore punk because they just got into it and you know we need to give them the 185 miles treatment yeah man before they go get tubed and bail and uh, break their neck on a reef like daniel's <laughs> gonna break his neck jumping off the stage that uh Sudabi show but uh yeah this is a mighty pod you're gonna enjoy it and let's handle business Hundred eighty-five miles south, a hardcore punk rock podcast. What's up, everyone? This week on the pod, we are discussing what is the best year for hardcore. Jesus Christ, what a question! Who came up with this? Ben, was this you? I can't remember. Maybe. I think I did. Uh, okay, I believe you. Well, thanks. You know how much time I wasted racking my head on this one? Good <laughs> God, man. Well, you uh, even you even skip you even danced around from year to year. That's true because there's so many good years of hardcore. All right, let me bring everyone in. You know him, you love him. He is the best dressed man on the pod. He is Daniel Sant. What's up, Dan? If you can't love yourself, how the hell are you going to love anyone else? How about that? Also, one of the two authors on the pod this week. It is Ben Merlis, a.k.a. Ben Edge, a.k.a. Badge. What up, Ben? How's it going? Also, another author. It is Anthony Papalardo. What's up, Anthony? What's up? Thank you for having me. Yeah, man. Thanks for coming on. Congratulations on uh, the book, Heaven or Las Vegas. Cool. Thanks very much. Thank you to everyone who's already purchased it. Yeah. Yeah, and Ben, he's uh, got you now. He's got more than one book, so step it up, dude. Add more than one book. Right, this is your third book, right? Or is it your fourth book? Third book, I've uh, first I've authored. I had two I co-authored, and then I've worked on a couple other book projects too. So, yeah, they're getting up there. I am not gonna. I mean, this is not blowing smoke, but Radio Silence is an incredible achievement. Um, it's one of my very favorite things on punk and hardcore ever like as as far as like references book wise cool i'm gonna break some news here radio silence will be getting a 2.0 in the in the i don't know in the future so we're working on a pretty cool a pretty special version of it that i think people are really going to like i don't want to reveal too much but it will be a hardcover it's going to be a bigger trim size and i'm really stoked to have it back in print because it's been out of print for a while so um yeah and i also think it'll be cool because if you know as we will get to in this kind of conversation 
the generations of hardcore, right? They they move so quick, like four years, every yeah. four years is generation. So I feel like, I think that book came out in 2008. So, I mean, we can add up the generations that weren't around for that book. So I think some new people will see it. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm stoked to have it back in print and more details to follow. That's awesome. I'm ready for Radio Silence 3.0 where you go deeper into the nineties and then you start rounding around on the millennium. Oof. Yeah. And, we and then Y2K say- makes your word processor fall apart. <laughs> <laughs> and Ben, step your game up. Let's get another oh, book going. Well, I'm all about radio silence 1.5. So I'm, I guess oh. I missed that one. <laughs> well, we couldn't escape the first 10 minutes. All right. So here's what we're going to do everyone. Each of us has cho- chosen a year that we believe is the greatest year of hardcore. We're each going to do a five-minute presentation of that year, and then we'll open it up for discussion, and we're going to go in order of the years. But, Daniel, we should say that this is the best time for hardcore now, right? But what makes hardcore great is that is history stacks one up, like upon each other each year, right, to like get us where we are now. But 2020 and hopefully 2021 are great years for this thing. Like everything is accessible. Literally any lane you love, you can find a band in that, like this doing what you love, you know, like Ben seems to be not super stoked on modern hardcore, like when he talks about it, but then his year in list for 2020 was like 25 albums, you know, it's, it's a rad time. So we are kind of dinosaurs, but we aren't also, I don't know. How do you want to say that, Dano? Well, I mean, if you were getting into hardcore in the last two years or something, you not only have the entire history to dive into, which is just, I can't imagine like loving that. And you all have it at your fingertips. Plus, even if you're remote, you have community uh, options and the ease of making friends and stuff through social media, through shared interest is just wild. So yeah. Yeah. Hardcore rules and hardcore kids rule. Yeah. And and they also suck, but you know, <laughs> mainly all, they rule. All retaliate fans rule, so what's up? Um but yeah, can, I, can I add a new guy caveat to this? Of course. Um one thing I want to say is that um, you know, obviously this is subjective for a lot of people. The year you get into hardcore is your favorite year. So think about this one. If you were a young head, an old head, any type of head, and you got into hardcore in 2020, 2021, when you might actually attend your first show, could be the best year ever. So think about that. Like, that's how cool this organism is that keeps evolving and moving. So, you know, there's there's always a potential that the next year could be the ne- the best year. But I was thinking about this during these, this quarantine stage that there's someone who discovered hardcore during quarantine and has never seen a show. So trip on that. Oh yeah. They, they are stage diving on the couch, watching YouTube <laughs> for yeah. sure. You know? Yeah. yeah. But like, we're going to talk about a lot of the building blocks and also it's like, you know, if you are newer to hardcore, like this is hopefully we make some of these years like more palatable because that would be like pretty gnarly getting into hardcore, you know, 40 years in, you know, and knowing like, what should I spend my time listening to if I want to like know the history, right? Because hardcore is a participation sport, you know, like you want to like get the newer records and then go see the bands live. That's the best of hardcore, you know, but like the building blocks are what got it there. I love the discussion we had in one of the side A side B's 
what we talked about like in the 90s there was always like the weirdo bass guy that wasn't even like a hardcore dude you know and it's just like because you're pulling in things because even in the 90s like hardcore is relatively young you know it's like not even two decades old but now it's like there's not necessarily a weirdo bass guy just like hardcore has been around long enough that like everyone can be into hardcore or or even crazier there are kids that emulating their whole style on the weirdo bass guy from said band in 1991 they're like yo that dude was so sick he had a fanny pack and a fucking i don't know a bandana on his head that's my look you know yeah right yeah, on. yeah go look at the uh billingsgate seven inch that's like fashion editorial now yeah man shout out squirrel <laughs> all right so ben chose the year 1981 am i correct that is correct Okay, I'm going to set a timer, and uh, you'll have five minutes. So warm yourself up here. I don't think I've ever used the timer on my phone. Okay, Ben, go. All right, 1981 was the year that hardcore really came into its own as a fully formed, crystallized genre with musical and lyrical attributes independent from quote-unquote regular punk. I don't know what else to call that, but you know what I'm talking about, punk from the 70s. So scenes started springing up all over the industrialized world to support it by 81. You know, you have bands in continental Europe, Japan, UK, US, Canada. And I think 81 is to hardcore what 1977 is to punk, what 1964 is to the British invasion, what 1956 is to rock and roll. It's like, it's like, all right, game on. We start here. I mean, it doesn't start here per se, but this is like, this is the defining year of its first generation. And I talk about 1.5 a lot and you make fun of me for it. Uh, but um, the bands and records, 1.5 is the term I use for the bands and the records that fall between punk and hardcore, both stylistically and largely kind of in that late seventies, early eighties window. And so 81 is the year where I think 1.5 peaks and because you have all these what are now classic records by adolescents, TSOL, Agent Orange, Bad Religion, Kraut, the Stains from Texas before they become MDC, the Effigies, Channel 3, DOA. And it's also the point at which capital H hardcore music is coming on strong, you know, like Negative Approach uh, bubbles up, SOA, DC Youth Brigade, bands that are like undeniably like just fast, angry hardcore. And so going through the year on Discogs, just to look at, you know, to make sure I didn't miss anything. It's amazing. Like half these bands are like household names, just bands that put out records in 1981. So I'm going to go through up some like important events that happened in 1981. Um, Black flag puts out two, seven inches with their third singer, Des Cadena. And then they recruit Henry Garfield from SOA to be their fourth singer. Then they put out, then black flag puts out a seven inch and then the first proper LP with, Henry Garfield, now Henry Rollins singing, and his previous band, SOA, 7-Inch, also comes out that year. So all everything I just said happens within one calendar year. And then you have Minor Threat recording their demo, followed by their self-titled 8-Song 7-Inch, followed by the In My Eyes 7-Inch, and then they break up the first time, and all that happens within the year, but actually between January and September of 81. Bad Religion self-releases their debut 7-Inch, Epitaph Records is born, Minutemen first album comes out. First Descendants record with Milo on vocals comes out, which is the fat EP. Then you have the exploited GBH and Discharge all putting out their debut LPs. 
dead Kennedys cranking up to speed and going all out with Nazi punks fuck off and God We Trust Incorporated. Uh, negative approach first appears on the process of elimination comp. Social Distortion puts out their first single. Jody Foster's Army in Phoenix, Arizona forms and names themselves Jody Foster's Army like a week after Reagan is shot, which is like so disrespectful in all the right ways. And then the term skate rock. I mean, at least I don't know if people are using the word term skate rock in, in 1981, but this is kind of the beginning of that whole thing. Pushead uh, does his first album cover with uh, Wasted Youth, Reagan's In LP, band from LA. 45 Grave puts out its first single and Christian Death makes its first comp appearance. Dead Kennedy, Circle Jerks, Black Flag, DOA, and Bad Brains all do national tours. So if you're an epithet fart rocker, a straight edge kid, a negative approach sycophant, Team Dez, Team Rollins, a 1.5-er, a 2.0-er, a Mohican, a DBD bag, a fuzzy dice brosy car collector, a death rocker or a skate rocker, 1981 is ground zero for you. And then most importantly, there's just so much great timeless music all jammed into this one year. Is that five minutes? Yeah, you still got 45 seconds. Oh, well, I have an entire, I, I broke down like, um, records by region, significant records by region, but there's no way I'm going to get to that in 45 seconds. But I do have a five song playlist. Should I say that now or wait, wait until uh, later on to give you 30 that seconds? One. Black Flag Rise Above, Adolescence Wrecking Crew, Social Distortion 1945. That's the one from the Rodney on the Rock Volume 2 comp, Minor Threat Filler, and Misfits Ghoul's Night Out. So Man, can't go wrong with any of that. I'm done. And he's done it. 451. Respect, Bedge. And and you should have given him a one-minute warning to let him know there was a minute left. I was going to give him a 30-second warning, but oh, okay. uh, he asked before that. I will do what a I will, What I will refute really quickly is that uh, fuzzy dice car shit was happening in the 50s probably. <laughs> yeah, but in the context of punk, you know, you can say social distortion is are the big. I, I know what you meant. I'm yeah, just, yeah. I'm just pulling your chain. Yeah, and I'm glad that you clarified the the negative approach thing because there's seven inches, 1982. Right. Okay, let's go on to Anthony Papalardo, and I believe you're doing 1985. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay, and timer starts now. Okay, so I went a different way in on this because I don't think hardcore is just about records. It's about the entire thing. So 1985 hardcore kind of hits its first pothole, right? Like it's kind of burning out. This is pretty key. You're coming off the post pressure of 1984. uh, The Olympics coming to LA police brutality in LA, right? In 1985, the Bad Brain song Pay to Come is featured in Martin Scorsese's film After Hours. So we see the original part of hardcore appearing in the mainstream, which is kind of interesting. SSD is done. They announce, Springer announces that hardcore is done in 1985. So where's this thing going to go? Now in the mainstream, the biggest bands of the year are Wham, Madonna, Dire Straits, Money for Nothing, Foreigner, Aha, REO, Speedwagon, Huey Lewis, Duran Duran, and We Are the World comes out in 1985. So the Midwest is changing. Naked Raygun still releases some great record, a great record that year. Boston is considered dying, right? New York City starts to kind of thrive. Bad Religion comes back to the known. We get 
crossover happening. We get the Revolution Summer. Faith Void Record is finally released, right? So that's like this archival thing, which is very interesting to hardcore of documentation of things past, right? They put this kind of, uh, this weight on things that happened before. And for you straight edgers, 1985 is an important year because the Air Jordan comes out. So hardcore can kind of go in a bunch of ways. And what it does is I feel like 1985 establishes all these different ways that hardcore is going to go. So we start with Can't Close My Eyes, Youth of Today, basically being nostalgic for this thing, right? Then you have Leeway coming in, um, putting out a demo in 1985. You also have the Age of Coral cassette coming out, Sick of It All Forms. You have New York City Mayhem. AF doesn't put out a bad record that year, so I consider that a win. You got the first token entry, 7-inch. Seven Seconds puts out Rock Together, uh, Walk Together, Rock Together. And I know I said this isn't all about records, but it's all about the spirit around these things. So I'm, I'm talking about like how much this thing spreads out. Like you have Decroitson starting to change. You have Suicidal starting to change. DRI, you have COC releases Animosity. And at the same time, COC releases Animosity, Verbal Assault puts out their demo. And then if you kind of look at the original generation or the generation before, Husker Du, Minutemen, of course, Debut dies in 85, but you know, Husker Du, Minutemen, Descendants, Black Flag, Meat Puppets, all these SST bands, are, they're still turning, right? We got I Don't Want to Grow Up, their national acts, Black Flag, puts out a bunch of complicated music that shows a pretty amazing range from loose nut process of weeding out and in my head. You can also say good or bad. The meat puppets had an influence on jam bands. They put out up on the sun, which is arguably one of their best records, right? Dead Kennedys are still going. And then if we take it to the coast where y'all located, right? UC starts cranking. Uni releases UR1, which I always felt was kind of like, the West Coast counterpart to Straight Ahead, you know, just this fast ripping, super positive thing. And uh, I will say the Unity 7-inch, I think, is underrated. Um, singing About Love, that's pretty brave, right? So Boston's kind of burned out. But then you get Gangrene's coming up, Negative Effects, uh, Posthumous LPs released, Slapshots formed. So they're kind of like the analog to Youth of Today. One minute warning. Cool, cool. Um, and then I guess I, I just think it's a, an interesting time because you have all of this and then you have the revolution summer happening in DC. So if you kind of break it down, you get crossover, you know, like metallic, hardcore, art, hardcore, hardcore, hardcore 2.0. Right. And, um, and this sort of the birth of emo all happening in the same year. And so these are kind of like, the buckets of where hardcore goes going forward. And we'll talk about specific records later, but I kind of feel like the blueprints of how this thing grows and scales happens in that year. So I think without hitting this bump in the road, hardcore could have folded and it could just be some nostalgic thing. We're talking about like the heyday of rockabilly or something, but instead it kind of says, we're going to plant roots and do this over and we're going to, we're going to refine it. And we're also going to uh, challenge it. So that's my case for the year of 1985. 10 seconds over, but we will allow it. All Love right. it. And uh, what's your five song. 
What's your five song mixtape? All right, let's get into it. So isolating it into five songs is pretty tough, but I, I tried to pick yeah. <laughs> I tried to pick five that would sprawl pretty far. So start with uh Rights of Spring, all there is. You know, it's like it's I believe the lyric, I'm very bad at quoting the it's more than love, it's less than love, or whatever it's all I give to you. I think that's like a pretty brave lyric well, that I misquoted, right? We can we can get deep into the songs when we do the discussion part, but just give us the five okay, cool, cool. titles. Yeah. Okay, so my five song playlist that shows the breadth of that year would be All There Is, Rites of Spring, Crucial Times, Youth of Today, Holier, Conversion of, uh, of Conformity, In My Head, Black Flag, and I do feel a bit of guilt for picking the title track, but I think that's a very uh, emblematic track, and then Good Good Things by The Descendants. Love it. Daniel, do you want to time me or Ben? Uh, Daniel, do you have, can you do that? <laughs> I think so. Let, okay. me grab my, let me grab my phone. Uh, all right. Where's the clock? There it is. So it's over where you're using it to uh, cheat on trivia. <laughs> no, that's my second laptop. <laughs> oh, my bad. My bad. All right. Are you ready? I'm ready. Go. Ladies and gentlemen of the 185 mile south of jury. First, let me say welcome, and Jesus Christ, you're all so good-looking. Now, first, we heard two arguments tonight already, and there's still one to come, but I'm going to first address the previous two. Now, Ben, he presented us with 1981, and it was a compelling argument, two minor threats, seven inches. But if that was the apex of hardcore, why didn't Daniel pick them for his Super 7 playlist? Good God. Next. All right. Is this a Comedy Central roast? <laughs> Anthony Papalardo is a well-researched hardcore historian. Dude's an author like Ben. He knows big words and probably knows better phrases to use than big words. But his case ends where mine begins, and that's 1986. 1985 didn't have Exhibit A, ladies and gentlemen. Bad Brains, Eye Against Eye. Okay, this is the band that arguably started it all with like the fury of hardcore, and... All the bands chase them. In 1986, they do their third record, and they say, chase this shit and make this wild right turn into great songwriting, full full tunefulness, and HR's voice is like out of this world. You know, it's like literally they create a thing, and then they say, now we're doing something else, and you can't catch this either. You know, we were the best, and we're still the best. All right, so you got Bad Brains, Eye Against Eye. Exhibit B. Cromag's Age of Coral. Good God. It's the perfect blend of first generation New York hardcore, the bad brains, and has the musicality and songwriting chops of Motorhead. And I could have rest my case here. You know, it's Age of Coral. Good God. It's like one hardcore record you can't live without. But there's lots more in 1986. The Cromags and Bad Brains, they're showing musicality and songwriting is evolving. But there's two albums from this year that are fully trenched in hardcore fury. It's still there. Okay. Youth of the Day puts out Break Down the Walls. And you just got to listen to Stabbed in the Back. You know, it's a cliche now, but put the song on. And if it doesn't conjure something within you, like, I don't know if this music is for you. You know, like you might have stumbled upon this podcast by accident. It's just like their combination of rage and positivity is everything that makes like this music special. 
you know that blend of agnostic front victim in pain and seven seconds to crew they fucking do it and knock it out of the park and that's the east coast version the west coast version comes out exhibit d uniform choice screaming for change you drop that needle and use your head kicks in dude you're couch diving you're bed diving whatever i'm 41 years old i've done it this year this album affects me the same way as it did when I first heard it. It is a timeless, timeless, hardcore classic. That's 1986. All right, let's go on. From the Fury to keeping some fury and adding pure melody. Dag Nasty Can I Say, Discord Records. It's 10 songs, 24 minutes of perfect melodic hardcore that is like unmatched from then. Like, Perfect melodic hardcore, introspective lyrics, catchy hooks. It's all there. Let's go on to exhibit D. Excuse me, exhibit, uh, exhibit F. I'm a terrible fucking lawyer. Poison Idea, Kings of Punk. This might be the best punk band of all time. They come off two perfect EPs and put the stamp down with a near-perfect LP where they're showing like they have the chops, like how we're talking about Bad Brains and Cro-Mags are showing more chops in hardcore. They're doing the same thing, but still keeping it full ragers. Poison Idea, Kings of Punk. One minute. The fucking shit. Cool. I got one more. Exhibit G is what I'm going to leave you with. And this blast the power of expression. It's the follow-up to Damaged that we wanted and didn't deserve. You know? Blast takes everything that we love about Black Flag and give us, like, that mesh of, like, still the rage, still, like, the more creative songwriting of the later shit but like entrenched in that like first seven inch, like Keith Morrissey beach shit. It is the perfect blend. It's like, I mean, I feel guilty saying that, but it is the black flag record we wanted and never got. And it's here. 1986 blast the power of expression. You also have seven seconds, new wind. You have agnostic front cause for alarm doing the crossover thing. You got the Beowulf self-titled same thing. The answer from the West coast, BGK, nothing can go wrong. Crumb suckers, life of dreams, more crossover. Dead Kennedy's Bedtime for Democracy. Uh, Gangrene, Another Wasted Night. The Murphy's Law, Self-Titled. Septic Death, Now That I Have Your What Do I Have to Do With It? Slapshot, Back of the Map, and Verbal Assault Learn. 1986, what's up? Okay. I was down to the wire, man. You made it. I made it. (laughs) What is uh, your five-song mixtape? Okay, let me pull it up. And my five-song mixtape is Poison Idea, Made to be Broken. Uniform Choice, My Own Mind, Youth of Today, Stabbed in the Back, Cromags, Don't Tread on Me, and Dag Nasty Circles. And Dan, let's go to you for, I believe, 1988. Is that correct? That is correct. Okay. And I'm going to pull my timer back up. And are you ready, sir? Uh, debatable, but yeah. Okay. And three, two, one, go. Okay. So 1988. By the end of 1988, hardcore is arguably getting, whether we get in the weeds of the 1.5s, hardcore has about a decade to look back on itself. Now, what do we see in 88? We see a stratified scene where a kid can find his place and only like one kind of hardcore at this point if he wants, uh, she wants. What we can do there is have multiple minimal scenes or big huge shows at venues that are going strong like Gilman, like CB's doing the matinees. Um, 
the Safari Club, the 930. Like, there are legendary uh, hardcore venues at this point, which means more all-ages shows, more kids getting into it. And, you know, when you look back at maybe, you know, I know you just interviewed Kira not that long ago um, and things like that. There are more people from this era that have stuck around and stayed into hardcore than the previous areas discussed, which shows almost like a level of how much this really meant. Uh, at this point in 88, there's eight years of Reaganism, nine years of Thatcherism, which means great, angry hardcore being made. Youth of Today have toured extensively, so there's a straight-edge explosion worldwide. Um, obviously, straight-edge, <laughs> the theory had gone much further, but Youth of Today really energized it. Um, I'm going to say, oh gosh, uh, my notes are so illegible. Uh, vegetarianism has come to the fore within hardcore at this point. It's a huge deal. Um, and with a lot of the youth crew stuff that's happening, there's a new wave of positivity that is being brought into a scene where a lot of violence and um, intolerance has happened in the past. So there's a, there's a new way to think that has risen up that is starting to be taken hold in lots of areas. Now I'm just going to start listing the fact that I chose AEA is because you can look back and you can have all that history before you and enjoy it. You know, you can have your 81, you can have your 86, you can have your uh, 85s and enjoy those records. But because the scene is so much bigger at this point and so much more varied, you have on 12 inches coming out that year, Infest, Bad Religion Suffer, Bold Speak Out, Token Entry Jaybird, Fugazi 13 Songs, Youth of Today, We're Not In This Alone. And I'm not saying that everything on here is an absolute classic because it's they're just notables. Uniform choice staring into the sun. <laughs> That's a notable. It might not be a classic, but Husker Du, Land Speed Record. Instead, Bonds of Friendship, Doom, War Crimes, Slapshot, Step On It, Swizz, Swizz, Ignition, Machination, Screeching Weasel, Boogada, 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 Attitude Adjustment, No More Must a Nice Guy, Upfront Spirit, NYHC, The Way It Is. I could just present that comp and end this argument here. AF Live at CB's. YOT, Can't Close My Eyes, Repress. If you're just getting into hardcore in 88 and you've never had that record, well, they're repressing it for you. Warzone, Open Your Eyes, Leeway, Born to Expire, Crumb Suckers, Beast on My Back, Pagan Babies, Next, Gigi Allen, Freaks, Friends, Drunks and Junkies, Suicidal, How Will I Laugh Tomorrow, Scream, No More Censorship, Crucial Youth, Posse Machine, SNFU, um, Better Than a Stick in the Eye, Exploited, Punks Alive, Lip Cream, Close to the Edge, Ludacrist, Power Trip, Dead Milkman, Beazle Bubba, Business, Loud, Proud, and Punk Live. Danzig One comes out. Oh, Seven Seconds second Ourselves. Warning. What? 45 Second Warning. Oh, okay. Bad Brains Live, Soul Side. And these are just the 12 inches. I've got a whole list of seven inches. GB, Side by Side, Op Ivy, Hard Stance, Slap Shot, Life's Blood, Unit Pride, Judge, Project X, No for an Answer, Poison Idea, uh, Filth Kick EP. Verbal Assault, Tiny Giants, Wide Awake, Crimp Shrine, Walk Proud, 
UC Region of Ice, No Use for a Name, Self Title Seven, Half Off Shoot Guns, Suicidal Released, Institutionalized as a 12 inch EP, Breakaway 7 Inch, Oi Poloi, Econo Christ, It Runs Deep, Wrecking Crew, Self Titled, Reason to Bleed, The Next Door, Minor Threat, Live at Buff Hall. And uh, just to wrap up, in 1988, you got the demos of these three bands. So they were bubbling to the surface. Raw Deal, Turning Point, and Beyond. The End. Nailed it. 510. Good finisher. Good finisher. a distraction for me. So uh, we will allow it. Okay. Those are our presentations. I want to do my five song mixtape. Okay. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> side by side backfire. Youth of today. Flame still burns. Fugazi waiting room breakdown. Sick people judge fed up. You should have let me guess your five songs. I would have nailed them all. <laughs> <laughs> all right. There are some bullet points that I want to take out of this before we open up like the full discussion. Um, I thought one of the most interesting things was Anthony bringing up the point of the faith void repress in 1985. Um, That like at that point, they're deciding that this is a thing that should be captured and documented. I think that's a great point. Do you want to elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. I I mean, I think sort of one of the tenets of discord, one of the tenets of discord is documentation, right? That it's not always about, the moment it's about um sharing the moment so who saw void right like how many i'm sure more people said they saw void than actually saw them yeah but it's, that it's a real factory records thing <laughs> yeah exactly exactly and you know it's it's funny that they juxtapose these bands into a situation where you have to choose one because they're both both sides are amazing and they're both doing two totally different things and inspired two totally different things um, or multiple things. But I think that idea of like the reverence of what came before and feeling like you have to document this and share it with people is a really important, it's like a keystone in hardcore. Right. And uh, cause if you think there's so many things that were never documented, right. So if you actually have it, that's powerful. And there's, I mean, there's, there's things that still haven't been released and it's almost like the, um, the excitement that would happen if there was some, you know, if Ian Mackay opened up his archive to the scream songs we've never heard or the insurrection demo, like think of how exciting that would be in 2021. So I think, I think that's a pretty cool thing. So, you know, that record coming out in that year, I think that's pretty significant to say, it's not always just about the moment. Again, it's like about sharing this moment. And if that moment was captured correctly or had some charm, it's going to have some resonance with other, other people, other folks uh, later in time. And uh, I don't think, and I'm not giving too much credit to hardcore, but I think some, some random band from the seventies that was really good say like, whoa, dude, they were Sabbath before Sabbath or whatever. Like, it might be like a cool thing, but the average person isn't going to care. But, um, or the 60s or whatever. But if there's some, like, like think of the death re- reissue, right? That thing comes out and it's such a big moment in hardcore. It's like, oh my God, it changed the timeline of this entire thing. And the New York Times is writing about it. Um I, I think that is a very interesting part of hardcore that's almost underrated. 
the 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 faith void split comes out in 82 originally so they're still to get both those bands are still playing when it when it first comes out um but in 85 you do have that minor threat seven inch which is stuff that had been recorded two years earlier and that band had already broken up by then so i get your point still stands but that records that's records from 82 oh we can we can strike this conversation then because discogs led me wrong because it got reissued in 82 it, it did get it got reissued yeah. in 85, i mean in 85 and yeah. 85 yeah. Yeah, yeah i guess we can i guess this is uh no i think it's we, a very we valid... should cut that no, no the point is still stands the valid point is that represses are happening because it's important to educate the next generation in and the next generation hears about these things and wants all these records you know and right. there are and people eating it up. So the legacy is important. And whether it's the second repress or the first repress is irrelevant. It is a it is an important thing to talk about signposts being re you know, like Start Today just got repressed again, you know? Right, right. Final. Because I mean ninety <laughs> percent of the people who are buying that red LP are because they already have all the other ones. But there are, you know, maybe 10 or 20% of people who are getting it on vinyl for the first time. No, I think it's important that like tentpole records stay in press. And to circle back to disc, uh, Discord, I want to say two things. So you have the minor threat, both seven inches, that LP comes out in 1983. So that's them also thinking about like, let's come up with a way to put this in one package and always have it be in press. And then also you have the complete discography that comes out in 1989 and just stays in press forever. And that's like one of the most important like CDs for everyone, right? Like every generation. Like I wonder how many things that like how many of that sold. Like I think I've bought it three times in my life, you know, myself. You know, so like the idea of like keeping these things impressed is like very important. Yeah, I guess if we, I guess to circle back, I, I I misspoke, but what I'm saying was like the original concept of Discord was to put out these things of like whether it was teen idols after they had broken up or whatever, this idea of documentation, which I think is, I think it's important because it's not, it's not like about tour cycles or promotion. It's about documentation. And I think that's what makes hardcore as a genre so much different than other styles of music. Well, especially out of that area uh, and out of that house in particular, the fact that culture, like it is acknowledged as being an absolute culture unto itself and has to be documented. And I mean, just look at the Fugazi live documentation project, you know, they've tried to basically document every live set they've ever had and make it available. Um, Just the hardcore people writing about it within it uh, back in all of those days shows the cultural relevance and especially there is that thing that Zach likes to refer to as the uh, secret handshake is sometimes we are, uh, you know, the majority of the time we are writing for ourselves within the culture, you know, only the people who know that secret handshake will really get what is being written about, but it is a way to let people from outside also to get a taste of it. They'll just never know exactly what it takes to be hardcore. If you never 
you know, dip your feet in. Yeah, I mean, the the secret handshake is real. I mean, in what other world do Ben Merlis and Rick the Life both like the same band? You know, like you guys both like Seven Seconds. Like there it is. You know, that's an amazing world. Uh, another another bullet point I wanted to pluck out was from Daniel. You talk about like the people that are into hardcore in 1988. A lot of the people, and I, I would push it back a little bit to maybe 85 to Anthony's point and 86 to my point. The people that discover hardcore in this like time frame, this is like a much larger chunk of lifers than you get in like the previous generations, right? Like I know a bunch of people that got into hardcore in like 86 or 88 and are still around, you know? And like, by the time the nineties comes, there's a bunch of us lifers, you know, do you want to, do you want to dive into that a little bit, Daniel? Yeah. And the reason I say about the 88 thing is like, there's almost a huge generation of people who have been stuck in time since 1988. Do you know what I mean? Like there's a, we all know like some of those, you know, as you call it, a scul-de-sac youth crew kid, you know, like bald in paunch, but still in his camo cargos and his uh, Air Maxes, you know, and to just to uh, squeeze this in, it's very important that Anthony brought up the Air Jordan 1, but in 88, you had 1, 2, and 3 to choose from. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say the fact that, you know, obviously in New York especially and a lot of other places, you know, Alquin, et cetera, in Boston, there are people who have been down forever. But I just felt like, and it, it was maybe just a hunch i feel you know this generation like the revelation records launch and solidification of the quality of stuff coming out of rev in the early days really just energized people that they didn't look anywhere else for music they found their musical home for life, you know? And of course that's happened with Age of Quarrel. That's happened with Cause for Alarm. That's happened with, you Dang know. Nasty with Bad Religion Suffer. Just yeah. everything that takes place in that time. Like this is a time of like lifers because yeah, you, you can find people that are around from like the first wave of punk or the first wave of hardcore. But like, you know, the people now that are around 50, there's a fucking lot of them, dude. And then yeah. if you go to like my generation of 40, there's a fucking shit ton of us. Like the the big chunk of lifers like does happen around this time, I think. And, yeah, and, and the, I think and it ties the, into the a previous it, well, I just want to say it ties into a previous conversation of like Ben talking about like that band the first step and saying like, you know, this is like what you kind of wish like youth of the day was like, like living. But it's like they could only do that because they saw something and were disappointed in it. And I think that the people that get into hardcore like 86, 88-ish, like they are looking at like previous generations like, okay, that was just a fad. That was like people going to giant shows at Fenders just for slamming and violence. But like we connected the music. Like we're like the real diehards here, you know? And so they're they're saying that won't be me. And these, you know, these are like teenagers, right? And they're looking at people in their 20s like that are kind of into a fad. And they're like, that'll never be me. And it wasn't. They're fucking lifers. Yeah. 
Well, I mean that that's that was something I didn't get to in I, I in that like intro about talking about AEA is the fact about the anger at the previous generation that has fortified a lot of the what the scene is in 1988. I think. Hey, so you, what what are you thinking about here, Anthony? I'm, not oh, yeah. I, I was just going to add real quick, and this isn't to add um, weight to my argument of a arbitrary year, is that to to it, it's actually to bolster kind of what Daniel was saying. Um, to be not just a fan of something, to be entrenched in something, you have to see it fail. Like we could say it could be democracy. It could be any any type of thing. Like think of uh, – seven seconds succeeding when the, where the hippies failed. Well, the hippies failed and they moved on. Right. And they became boomers, whatever to see hardcore fail, to see shows go away, to see venues get taken away to have, like there's plenty of people from that first wave who speak with so much reverence of how important that first couple years was. And then they moved on to something else and they're going to hold on to that sort of like their high school football years. Right. But to be like, okay, how do we do it again? I think that's how hardcore survives. So you could put that, um, you could kind of track that into the 90s or kind of like different touch points throughout hardcore. But for this thing to, to keep going, it has to keep reinventing itself and it has to keep being resourceful. You need um, revelation looking at whether it's Discord or Danger House and kind of starting the same way, they're documenting Warzone, right? That wasn't a band at the time, and then all of a sudden it sparks Warzone to come back. So I think kind of like my my to to wrap up like everything that we're saying is that hardcore is this resilient um, genre of music that won't stop. And it might be the original people, it might be new people coming in, but they keep there's a, a group of folks that just keep wanting to capture this and not so much recreate it, but reinvigorate it. Whereas, you know, other genres, right? Like who, who's trying to reinvigorate like funk metal right now? You know what I mean? Like, it's just like these things that happen and go away, but there's something about this 360 culture that's so important to people that they don't want it to stop, you know? And it's kind of like flame still burns, whatever we can be the new wind you can you can take these sort of like like uh moments from from all over it but there there's something very ingrained in it that we don't want this thing to stop and we're going to be resourceful to keep it going and i think that's what's i think that's why like you can make an argument for almost any year in a sense of course i I think we all love all years you know well i I think about my entry point is so weird right like Getting to hardcore in 1996 on the West Coast, like it's strange. It's a weird year. Like all the stuff that people talk about, like 90s hardcore, is kind of like on their tail end. Like the East Coast has all the stuff that I kind of like, and only trickles of it make it out to the West Coast. You know, it's, it's a weird entry point, and I don't, I don't know why I fall in love with this thing and never fall out of love with it. You know, it's kind of just, it's weird, but it, again, it is kind of what we're talking about. Like of the Daniel discussing the 88 people, like you see other people and it's a fad and I'm like, no, this is real to me. This connects to me somehow. So like the entry point doesn't matter as much as like your love for something. 
But it, it does matter to a lot of people, which is interesting because the elephant in the room is that all four of us picked years that we didn't personally experience. And I think there's like a type, like there's a personality type that thinks in those terms. In other words, all four of us are of that same personality type. And then there's the personality type of like, my favorite year was the year I went to the most number of shows. And and if that, if that year was, you know, 2007, then that's my favorite year of hardcore. And like us four, we don't think in those, we think more big picture, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. I think it's more contextual because, you know, to Zach said something interesting, like my entry point, when I started actively going to shows was 90 and shows in Boston at the time were still huge, but all of a sudden the wick started getting a lot shorter. Right. And all of a sudden, you know, like um, the channel was a big spot. And then I believe in 92, it might've been 91. I think it was 92. The channel closed. And so by 93, like my whole world that I'd been entrenched in was shrunken and it could have gone you know, I could have just moved on because I was into other stuff. Like I could have been like, ah, I'm just a Sebado dude now or whatever. But there was kind of like this groundswell of people that didn't want it to stop. And they were like, okay, how do we create it? And what was really interesting to me is that it was a group of women who took the reins and were like, we'll figure out how to do shows because the people who were doing shows had moved on to doing uh, larger acts. Right. And so, um, now that was super exciting to see something that you had you hadn't even been into f- intensely for four years to be reborn. But I, I think to your point, Ben, it's like the context of it is that as much as your um, endorphins are going and you're excited about something, you have the uh, perspective to say that's not the most important part of it. You know, that's just that's an exciting part. You know, but it's not the most important part. So well, I. I- I I think what you said there uh, is very important. I think there are two things that make this want to keep going. One is like you just said, you were into Sebado and, you know, like probably some other indie rock and whatnot. I, I have always been into stuff on major labels all through the time that I've been into hardcore, right? There's something about enjoying that music and enjoying you know the imagery whatever that comes with it you know like being into oasis and then also being into hardcore when you go into that hardcore room you're like there's nothing in the world like this room i go to other shows concerts whatever you want to call it like yeah i've dipped my feet in in all that scene like i i grew up going to like some of the Manchester shows like charlatans, happy Mondays, stone roses, etc., And <laughs> seeing that stuff and it being its own thing, but nothing has blown my mind, like going into a hardcore room and the camaraderie and the everything being dropped away and it being actually just real as fuck is, is what, makes this machine keep rolling because there is knowledge of the outside world and we cultivate this to not be like that and then the other uh, end of the spectrum is we look back on and we've mentioned this on another pod in the past but we look back at the few previous generations and with one hand we worship them and with the other hand we're critical as fuck like where they let us down we point out 
where they sold out, where their shit record was, all of this stuff. And we'll never be like that. And then we keep going. And so there are those two building blocks. There's an acknowledgement of the outside world. And then there is a deep like thought about the inside of the inside of our world where it pushes us forward, you know? And yeah, I, I mean, that's... I absolutely love Iron Maiden, right? And, uh, but there's no connection there. So I can appreciate that, but it's something totally different. The great thing about hardcore is the entry point to get your hands on it is so visceral and real because you can be any dude and like do a zine on stuff. You know, yeah, like you don't have to know anybody and you can you like can go to a show and the singer is shoving the microphone in your mouth to, for you to participate, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, and that's huge. Like coming from going to, you know, major label shows or even, just different genres of, of music's world. You know, the fact that some singer is grabbing you by the collar and shoving the microphone in your mouth to finish the line is mind blowing, you know? Yeah. It's timeless. Uh, Let's kind of go back to the beginning of this exercise and Ben, do you want to talk about a little more of 81? Why you think it was so like instrumental? Yeah. I mean, there are those kind of bullet points I was talking about, but then like on a regional level, you have LA pretty much peaking this year. Like you have all those, you have all those black flag records coming out, bad religion, wasted youth, Minutemen, descendants, 45 grave legal weapon, no sorrow EP angry Samoans put out a record as the queer pills. Like that's their alias. I'm not exactly sure why a uh, wild gift by X, the second Rodney comp hell comes to your house, which has, it's a great comp with social distortion, Christian death, 45 grave. Right. But zoom out a little bit, Ben, and talk about the influence. Oh, well, I mean, you have, I mean, there's cities that didn't have a scene before 1981 starting to put out records. So it it just becomes this sort of, it's almost like the point just before, you know, your face breaks out in acne and then, and then bam, all of a sudden, your your face is covered in acne. That's like 1981. So it's like it, all these elements that were waiting to to happen. And I do think back to your point about looking at the previous generation and being disappointed by them. I think hardcore is looking back at punk and being disappointed by it. Like it's by nature like a reaction and a drive to in a further, more extreme punk direction because you're looking at you know, Johnny Rotten and the clash acting like rock stars. Cause they fucking acted like rock stars, even though their, their music inspired all these people. Well, even the next generation of punk, right. We've talked before about like the Cox bar song, where, where are they now? You know, like the great early diss track. Yeah. And then, I mean, I can go through all the different regions and the, the great, I mean, Husker do and replacements start putting out records this year. Detroit's in demo like faith and void first demo come out this year. Discord is really cranking out the seven inches in 81. Like um, Texas has a huge scene. UK I touched on already. Uh, there's just so much going on Pacific. Oh, Northwest should, real quick on UK though. Punk's not dead comes out. Punk's not dead. Yeah. The first album by exploited GBH and discharge. And I always think of those, those three bands as the big three, you know, the, the spiky hair punk bands, even though it seems that 
history has been much more kind to discharge than the other two. But when I was getting into all this stuff, I just thought, you know, those are the big three early eighties British bands. And I loved them all. Um, but yeah, that's a huge deal. Like, and, and you have black flag touring the UK and getting treated like garbage um, in the UK. And it was like a culture shock for them. And I think part of what bridged the gap between American hardcore and Europe is uh, fast product putting out Dead Kennedys records. And and I heard Jello talk about this. He said, it's not like we were the best American band, but fast product was this label that was putting out like post-punk records, like Gang of Four records and shit. And all eyes were on them in the UK. And they just picked, they just decided yeah, we're going to put out Dead Kennedys records. And so Dead Kennedys were huge over there just for that, you know, it was just like a, an historic coincidence. You know, the wind could have blown in the other direction that day and another band could have been chosen. So like there are all these, like there's a giant web that is spanning the entire world that's just starting to be, uh, you know, spun in 1981. And goddamn, so many big boys, dude, it's just so many good records. Yeah, and domestically, it's spreading because Black Flag is touring and DOA is touring, right? Exactly. And DOA puts out a record called Hardcore 81, and people always say they attribute that to being kind of the first point where um, this thing has a name that we can agree upon. Although, I don't know. Badge order, he he argues it is Hardcore 81.5. Hardcore 81.5. Yeah, DOA, DOA, definitely not, definitely on the more punk side of things than hardcore, which is ironic. But again, back then, there there wasn't a consensus on what a lot of the stuff was called. I think probably by the end of the year, there there were bands that were, you know, died in the wool hardcore. Yeah, um, but Ben, I would say that if you're looking back at this kind of stuff and you're, you're thinking hardcore is not just obviously the the sound getting faster and all of that like that's a that's a tenet of it but th- it's the fact that you're going to get in a van and tour for 6 weeks on no money no food nothing like that's fucking hardcore and that's what this web of DIY that was started with the black flags and the DOAs that's just as much of an element of hardcore because as you say like a lot of the punk stuff were all being put out by like Polydors and and like offshoots of major labels and were they were getting advances and they were getting all of these things. They were getting tour support and th- the label was organizing the tour, things like that. Whereas these hardcore bands, they were doing it themselves. And that I think is the the yin to the sounds yang. You know, yeah, let's talk about Let's talk about that a bit because we've talked before on the pod about 1980 being a weird year because this is when the Circle Jerks are actually having to shop the group's XLP. So that is so mind-blowing, right? You have the singer, the first singer of Black Flag does his next band, puts out a great classic hardcore punk record, and they're shopping for a record label. Like It's just falling into this void of this year. And the next year in 1981 all sorts of people start doing shit themselves. You know, discord starts epitaph starts. What year does alternative tentacle start, Ben? 
uh, Disc- Discord starts in 80, but they only put out that first Teen Idol 7-inch at the very end of the year. Right. So they really get going in 81. Alternative Tentacles. Alternative Tentacles starts in 79 with that uh, um, California Ubrella 7-inch, and then Dead Kennedys go off and do stuff with Cherry Red and IRS or whatever for that first album. And then they go back in 81, and they're like, all right, now we're going to put out our records we're going to put out our own records again. So like as a legitimate label, 81 is kind of where it starts, where they start cranking them out. Yeah. And BYO pops up in like 83, you know? So like you have this whole early, early 80s surge of like the real DIY. Yeah. New Alliance records, reflex records. There's a lot of stuff happening in right around 80, 81. Positive force. Uh, I don't know what, when positive force starts actually. Um, Well, the seven seconds, seven inches predate 1984. So you have that 80 to 83 range. Yeah, definitely. Um, seven seconds. Uh, th- the only thing that they put out in 81 is the three chord politics cassette, which is a full length cassette. You see a lot of that in the eighties, like bands that are just like, well, we're putting out a cassette. We might as well record every song we know. And we know 17 songs. So right. like, yeah, before uh, I shoot it off to Anthony to talk about 85, I just want to say there, there's, I mean, obviously every year there's records we can't live without. But like the negative approach seven inch, I can't live without it. And I feel guilty, like not picking the year that it comes out. And then also my favorite hardcore record of all time comes out in 84, which is agnostic front victim and pain. I do think it's a perfect record. And so it's weird when we're talking about these years, you know, inevitably it goes back to like the, the desert Island discussion. Like, okay, if I only had records from what year, what would I choose? And it's hard because, you know, we've talked about it on the side, a side B's like, one perfect song beats three 9.5 songs. You know what I mean? And so, God, it's hard not picking 84 for uh, for Victim in Pain. Plus, all the Narcor stuff, you know, is 84. And it was my original pick. But then just looking at 86, it was it's too much for me to turn away from. But uh, let's go to you, Anthony, if you want to brush out a little bit more on 85. Well, yeah, unless Discogs failed me again, I feel like... Uh... Mystic and Nardcore was pretty active in 85 with Scared Straight, No Effects. I know they're not from Oxnard. Uh, Dr. No, they put out a GI record that year. Doggy Style, Aggression, Ill Repute, RKL. That's, I've, I omitted that from my original uh, manifesto. But um, You had to jump in just real quick. For 85, for Nard, it would be the, the Dr. No Bernie P is super important. And then also the RKL LP. Seven yeah, inch are, comes, uh, yeah, I think the seven inch comes out in eighty four, and keep laughing comes out in eighty five, and then yeah, yeah keep, the keep laughing's eighty five, sure, right, and then um, the straight, and then ill repute tours with scared straight in eighty five, which is uh, important also for us. But back to you, sorry, no, no problem. Um, so yeah, to touch on a couple things, um, age of corals important in eighty six. The the cassette comes out in eighty five. Dag nasty is important in eighty six. They start in eighty five with Sean Brown. Those are all just kind of like whatever, you know, like chicken or the egg things, whatever. I think what's kind of cool in 85 is that we see sort of sustainable models of whether it's alternative tentacles or SST and um, sort of the ability, like they talk about like whether it was DOA doing it first and then Black Flag taking their numbers and then recreating how to tour I think there's kind of a model established by 85 of which you can take it and run with it, or you could 
or you could do nothing. Right. And I think it's very important to see like, Oh, there's kind of these sustainable models. How can we go forward with that? And then like shortly thereafter, we see um, a bunch of other labels kind of come and some of which like, like revelation, for example, two years later become sustainable labels. So I think, I think you have to have that um, almost like a control group to prove something can work. You know, you think about epitaph, the same thing. And I think that's kind of interesting. So I'm kind of clinging to this idea of this pothole idea of like hardcore kind of like you got to shit or get off the pot. And it, it, it definitely responded to that very well. Um, and I also want to go back to the revolution summer thing. Cause I didn't get to touch on it that much, but I think if, if you think of how important, um, not just as a musical genre, but as an entire lifestyle that revolution summer was not just to DC, but as an example of the influence that hardcore or things that are loosely hardcore can have and how they resonate now. I think that's very powerful, especially in the the capital of where hardcore came from, right? So I, th I think this idea that it's a particip participatory thing where you can do a drum protest, you don't have to be in a band. I think that's really powerful. And also just the idea of hardcore reacting to hardcore. In one year, you have hardcore reacting to hardcore where it's uh, Youth of Today reacting to DYS and SSD being over and doing something amazing. And then also the Discord, the DC people reacting to hardcore being too violent and doing something totally different. And I think that's an analog for where hardcore goes and how it splinters into all these different things. And I just want to go back to like, I kind of picked that year because all the seeds of like all these different things, whether it's metalcore or, you know, think like uh, Black Flag in my head that year is like kind of an arty record in a strange way. I think a lot of stuff come out of that. And then you also have like the fartier elements of Descendants really putting out like a masterful record in that year as well. Um, but yeah, I just, I, I like this idea of, a bunch of things spawning from one era and then all becoming new eras and new genres and, and micro genres. And, and I think that's, that's really cool because it all comes out of this personalization of, you know, if you got into hardcore at its beginning, it was kind of one thing, right? It's one note. Now you kind of, you can, sort of personalize it to what you like. I'm more political. I'm more this. I'm more into melodic. And you can kind of run with it. And I think that's, to me, that's kind of the blueprint of how this entire thing not only grew, but keeps growing. Yeah, I, I think that's, uh, talking about the revolution summer, the fact that hardcore, you could voice about thought and feeling and, you know, we may be fatigued on these words in, in this day and age. Some people may be fatigued on them, but you were in a safe space to really let go and discuss everything that you felt was tearing you apart. That didn't have to be just through a, uh, lyrics, you know, you could actually 
be discussing it in a in a open space um and do you know and find friends and a support system and then um you know the you're talking about yot like being reactive against the other things you I mean, Swizz within their own town were reactive against Revolution Summer, mm-hmm. really, you know? Right. So it, it's it's interesting how it's always mutating, but there's always almost the slime coming after the, the snail is <laughs> is the, well, fuck that. I'm going to mutate off and, and I'm going to take what I liked from the past and I'm going to smash it down your throat, you know? And that's what is so amazing about hardcore but I, I i love those signposts that you bring up for 85 to to really show it you know yeah i yeah, love okay. it because it's like talking kind of about an incubation period for like what would be 86 and the revolution summer stuff <clears throat> i get it it's cool for what it is but you're moving away from hardcore and i still love hardcore and i love that 86 comes in and like kind of ethers it in the way that it's like hardcore is still here, you know, and it still rages with like the UC with the youth of today. And then like, you know, the bridge takes like the Dagnassi record, you know, and of course age of coral, it's like hardcore is still here. Like, yeah, we're opening up the umbrella. It's big, it's ideas, but like Ben says, it's still a genre of music, you know, and it has to be, like hard. And I want it to be like a little dangerous. Like it is wild. It's a wild type of music. And it's one of the reasons why I love youth today so much is because the message is like safe and nice and positive, but the music is still like ripping out your fucking throat. It's wild. Yeah, And I, I, I definitely hear that, but let me just pose this. I think it is dangerous and perhaps even more dangerous than, you know, slamming and being crazy is actually letting all your guard down and opening up in many emotional ways is extremely dangerous for some people to do that. You know, it's very uh, treacherous ground. So I I think both elements of it are right. (laughs) And that's what makes hardcore the best. Well, I feel you, but I also think it's silly to think that hardcore has like a monopoly, a monopoly on like protest type culture. You no, know, like, I don't think anyone's saying that. I'm well, saying I have heard people say like, "Oh, well, you know, playing the trumpet in the park is more hardcore than like some hardcore band playing like a hardcore show." You know, and it's like they're, they're an idiot for saying that. Okay, well, <laughs> you know, I how can something be more hardcore than something else? Even though we're trying to discuss which year is the best. <laughs> so well, I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. I mean, to to take it back to what we're talking about, I think. You know, I was listening to an interview with Guy fr- talking about Rights of Spring not that long ago, and he said he considered Rights of Spring a hardcore band, right? And I think if you listen to a bunch of their songs, like as beautiful as some of the songs are, there's also some songs that are super aggressive. And I think it's it's kind of what Zach said of like, or maybe Daniel, that it's brave to put your emotions out there. But it's also like if you saw rites of spring perform and they're destroying their instruments and they're going through this catharsis in 1985 that's just as dangerous as any other experience you've ever had because it's unpredictable it's a groundswell of emotion 
and it's it's just um, presenting it in a different way. And I think there's a lot of, um, I think there's there's a lot to be said to being able to say, let's reinterpret the the DNA of this thing in a different way and make it unpredictable and interesting in with a different presentation. And I, I think that's what kind of I think the emo thing gets overemphasized in Revolution Summer rather than the spirit of it. It was the people who were there the first time around saying, like, how can we do this differently and how can we be more inclusive? And how can we almost like it's I think hardcore as a genre is it's about the entire thing is about putting guardrails around it, right? It's saying you have to do X with Y, right? And so it's like, how do you create something with so little? And so what they what they did and what a lot of bands did in 1985 is create something new within this context, whether it was crossover, whether it was emo core, whether it was uh, poppier or whatever. We're going to operate in this world. We don't want you to hate us, but we want to challenge you. And I think a lot of bands from Black Flag to Descendants to COC to DRI to Youth of Today even said, we want to be in this thing, but we're going to challenge you. And I, I think that's super interesting because other genres, like it's, it's so much looser. Like if, if Pearl Jam puts out a funk record, and I know it's like a dated reference or whatever, no one really cares. No one's like, no one's like, Oh, Whoa, they really stepped out of their boundaries. Right. It's just like, Oh yeah, I like it. Or I don't like it. It's if, like, how did the sucky band manage to suck even more? Is that Yeah, true? exactly. <laughs> how did fucking steady vetter blow it again? Yeah, whatever. <laughs> no one cares, you know? <laughs> no, I, I think that's fair. Ben, what's your take on this stuff? I was going to say shout out to deranged diction, Montana, hardcore circa 84. That's a uh, homeboy from Pearl jams, uh, old hardcore band. I, I I don't remember what they sound like. I don't know. I, I agree. Like, it seems like if you take the, the templates that were created in like 81 and 85 combined, you basically have everything covered. Like for 81, you got straight edge. You got that negative approach sound. You got fucking, db going hard hard you got the fucking death rock skate rock and then 85 you have uh the emo core starting i mean they're not calling it emo core at that point or i guess thrasher magazine is and then you have the the crossover uh coc dri accused maybe at that point is doing crossover as well uh but that's kind of a big year for that metal creeping into hardcore and like between all those things, it's like, yeah, it's pretty much it. Like, I mean, I guess the only thing that happens much further into the future is, and I'm not a fan of this at all, but like that Dillinger escape plan, what, what my friend calls random core, the just like, that, that's like, that's the only like musical innovation that happens in hardcore after, you know, the eighties, the not that I'm a fan, I'm not a fan of it at all, but like, yeah, like the templates are set so early on. But, but, couldn't, I you, but couldn't you say that like in my head introduces random core? Because that thing's like a, that's a very weird record. That's a good point. I'm I mean, just thinking that you love to deal in absolutes, uh, you know, like, well, this was this, so this both this. And as we've discussed earlier, I feel this is a mutating thing. It like you're right. I agree. There's, there's no like 
I mean, we love to retcon it as it being this, but while it's moving and shaking, it's not, you know? But I, I, I think of like, to use your year as an example, and there was, there were times in my life where I would have said 1988 was the best year for hardcore. So like you named a lot of records that are close to my heart, but like the big things that were happening in 88 were youth crew and crossover. And those things pretty much came into existence in 85. So it's like, you could say, the seeds were planted in 85 for what uh, uh, came to full fruition in 88. I guess True, that's a good point. But you can say they were perfected in 88. And I, when yep. we get, when we get around to that, I will present some other things, but let's talk 86. That Well, that, that's when a lot of it's perfected, right? Like you have agnostic front cost for alarm 86, the crumb suckers life of dreams. Like there's your crossover stuff. It's like starting to bubble in 85. And like, here it is like in the hardcore lane. You know, and on the West Coast with like the Beowulf self-title, you know, Suicidal are doing it also. I don't know what record it is in 86, but, you know, with Youth of the Day, if you're talking 88, it's like, here's Youth of the Day, Break Down the Walls. It's 86. It's like, better than Can't Close My Eyes. It's Uniform Choice, Screaming for Change. It's better than the Unity 7-inch. Like, Dagnassi, Can I Say, you know, like, this is like their perfect record. You know, Poison Idea. It's Kings of Punk. They're doing like a style of having the chops. It's better than the first two, you know, as much as I, it kind of breaks my heart to say it, but like this, I think it's the best, you know? So you have all these bands that are figuring out the lane, maybe in 85, but they're like actually stamping it down in 86. And like these albums are untouchable. I mean, like the, like Anthony was saying, like the Chromags, the, the tape comes out in 85, but like, 86, Age of Coral, Profile Records, here we are. You know, like, it's just unfuckwithable. You know, and, and mm-hmm. Bad Brain's, like, doing a full new thing. Like, this is wild, but it's still, like, close enough to the lane that, like, you can love it, but they're branching out and doing shit that, like, had to have been mind-blowing at the time, right? Yeah. Question well, for Ben. Question for Ben to go back yeah. to his genre. Uh, his pick. Do you think anyone tapped into – you picked 81, correct? Yeah. Do you think anyone tapped into 81 after 81 with as much uh, like that, that nailed it since then? Cause that I might've just made an argument for you, but I'm curious. Oh, you mean like someone playing in an, in, a, in an 81 style, like in the two thousands or 2010s or whatever, or, that... or 84, whatever. Like, I think like is youth of today better than SSD? I would say no, but I think they're, take on that is awesome did anyone tap into kind of the dna of what you like about 81 that you feel like is comparable how about that like within the last 10 20 years or what what no just any time after 81 so yeah i'll, I'll answer yeah. Pedge's question uniform <laughs> choice screaming for change is like the closest thing to as being as awesome as those minor threat seven inches i think like i think it is in that lane and so like, yeah yeah close to 81 that's a good example um and then there are bands that i named that continue to put out good records for the next two three years and there's you know di's making good records in the really in the lane of that the adolescence uh but not as good seven as seconds yet. as well yeah seven seconds but, uh, no, but no one formed in the wake of it that's like comparable to that right 
like as good are there bands yeah, that but, came but after Anthony, this is there is there a band as good as i know it's 82 but is there a band as good as negative approach in the wake of negative approach is there a band as good as negative approach period you know that i mean the only thing that i would argue is victim is victim in pain is as good as the native approach seven inch and victim in pain is better than the native approach lp yeah but what about set it off it's just it's it's a different Beast. No, I, I'm just saying, but that that's yeah. my point, is I am saying the the reason that you're looking back at Ground Zero and saying, oh, has anyone done anything like this? Well, no, because it was mutating and people were adding spices and other ingredients to the pot, especially three or four years out, because what would be the point of repeating a straight-up 81-sounding, like, record that close to it it would be you know just think about the way that things are moving now now obviously with the internet everyone is doing demo core and wanting to sound like a certain three-week period of a band <laughs> and they're, right. they're crafting their band to sound exactly like that but if you look at it on a on a timeline of course the bands in 84 are not trying to replicate 81 because they're they're moving with this and they're they're chugging the train down the tracks. Now, when you get to like post early nineties, that's when a lot of looking back can definitely happen. The YOT stuff is looking back, but it's also forging ahead at the same time, I feel. But isn't um, Infest looking back at Siege? There, I, I think that if you're looking I mean, you at might, like an entry you might point, find some outliers, but I don't think you're going to find yeah, yeah. a theme. But I mean, that, that might be an example of a band that kind of like infused their own thing into something that was relatively obscure at the time. You know what I mean? Yeah, demo core. <laughs> yeah, it's demo. It's pre. Yeah, it's like pre demo. It's proto demo core. Don't, yeah. don't put Infest in that box before I interview Matt Domino. <laughs> okay. I want to still come on. But to answer your question definitively, Anthony, uh, no, there there aren't bands that are like the Misfits that are better than the Misfits. There aren't right. bands like the Descendants that are better than the Descendants, and that's why I picked 1981. You know what I mean? If yeah, no, if, for sure, yeah, yeah, yeah no, point, no one's better than the Ramones. Like, come on, <laughs> right? For that style of music, absolutely. Well, for the for the volume of music right like i i would argue the dead boys record over any of the ramones records but they didn't put out as many records as the ramones that are great i, w- I would argue ramones over dead boys personally. yeah i would too but but that's cool like no i'm not angry at your your opinion it's not you know what i mean <laughs> well i mean yeah i mean the, the second dead boys record isn't close to you know the first four ramones records right you know. anyway um yeah so 86 is the winner and uh, let's go on to <laughs> Daniel with 88. Daniel, argue 88. Okay, so I touched on it on, on you know, bumbling through my intro about 88. It's just when we get to this point in time, hardcore's blown wide open, right? And it's really stratified. So in the same year, you've got things being termed as hardcore as like Christ going up against Life's Blood going up against Side by Side. And then, you know, you've got Leeway, Born to Expire, like all existing under that umbrella, all being very different. But 
if I'm going to synthesize what I really love about 88, and, you know, I had 86 first and I abandoned it for 88 just for the simple reason that when arguing about this, I wanted to go with... The only reason I I abandoned 86 because I agree with the theory of one 10.0 banger eradicates three 9.5s. But when I looked at... 88, there's so many, so many 10.0 bangers from me as well as there was in 86. So, oh, and you did it as a fuck you to Stephen Blush. Uh, yes, that's the main reason. I wanted to say hardcore does exist and thrive post 1986. Stephen Blush, get back in your trash can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, 88, 88 for, to, I mean, like we're we all even though Zach's was never straight edged, we come from that scene. And eighty eight is like a fucking watermark, whatever, a high point in 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 that scene. So of course we all have love for eighty eight. Yeah, and and, and, and think about like, this. Also, the breakdown on the raw deals, which are starting like a new. Well, that, that's what I was just about to say. Yeah, go go for it, Zach. No, I just think like you have a whole new like lane being carved out here that would like go on forever. I mean. You brought up before, what about set it off? It's like, what is set it off? You know, it's... It's the child it, of raw deal and the child of breakdown. Right. I mean, like... Agnostic the, front. Yeah, I mean, the next year, uh, Killing Time Brightside would come out, and Madball is a mashup of Brightside plus the 1992 record, yeah. Agnostic Front well, and One Voice. Well, let, let, okay. me also, let me also explain this about 1988. 1988, especially on the East Coast, I will say, but I would say all over, really. 1988, hardcore cannot ignore and doesn't want to and wants to really mesh with it is there's some really strong hip-hop influence in the fashion in hardcore, in the um, in the sounds that are starting to develop that obviously get stronger later on, you know, your mad balls, etc., there is a an influence of hip hop that is stronger in these in this period of time than ever before because arguably hip hop is stronger and more mainstream at this point uh, as far as cultural influence. You know, I think that's a a huge the look of many hardcore kids coming out of this year is steeped in both scenes. I mean, yeah, in a in a lane just adjacent. So you're talking about that lane. I also want to say 88. You know, this predates it a minute, but RKL do Rock and Roll Nightmare in 1987, and then Bad Religion doing Suffer in 88, and Screeching Weasel doing the Boogada Boogada Boogada. Like those three albums, like shape, you know, what becomes the epitaph and Fat Records. Well, and then you're not even thinking about Operation Ivy. Hectic comes out what a birthplace that is for many terrible records to come, but what a good record it is and what a genre defining record it is, you know, that, and then energy comes out the next year. Um, Good point. Look out records. Yeah. Huge, huge deal. Kind of starting around then. Yeah. Green days the next year, I think the first green day. I kind of feel like we've ignored Gilman, which is like, I don't know where that falls into our timeline, but that's so insanely important. 
Oh you know? yeah. I, I mentioned the venues at the start of my rant about 88 that were just firing on all cylinders at the time. Gilman, Safari Club, mm-hmm. CB's Matinees. Um, of course, you know, a multitude of things in Hollywood. Um, but at that same point, it is post all of the DIY framework that has been, you know, started up in those previous years that we've discussed. So there are squats all over Europe hosting a lot of these bands. There are, um, you know, small, like the space in Worcester and all of these places are, are doing those kind of things to where, I don't know if the space is timeline correct, but that, yeah. the Che Cafe and the space, all of those by the punks, for the punks type spaces are really operating on a national, like, grid mark at, at this point, you know? So if you tour you've got a really good idea of where you can go in 88, you know? Um, Plus the one thing that, you know, Zach touched on and I'd like to go a little bit further is, you know, the way it is for that, just what a genre defining LP, even though there's multiple genres on it. um, But that, that breakdown song plus the raw deal demo it it really birthed the harder side of hardcore to come in a in a really gritty sound and then of course you've got schism going you've got schism putting out zines and amazing records putting out the judge nyhc ep project x which is a joke but is also incredible. You've got the Wide Awake, which is almost a hardcore band looking back at youth of today and saying, I want to be like that. That's the first of the youth crew being more than just the peers of youth of today. It's almost like, oh God, like we're fans of that now, you know? Yeah, and, and Daniel, a quick circle back to Gilman on that. I mean, when the when I had Eric Ozine on, you know, he talks about being influenced by Youth of Today coming through and going and seeing them multiple times. Yep, and you Unit know, Pride and Breakaway both come out this year. Exactly, exactly. So the same as like Wide Awake, right? It's like kind of like an immediate influence of yeah. like while the band is still around, you're influenced. And, you know, we see that throughout hardcore history, right? I mean, we talked to death on the... Uh, the 90s youth crew thing just where it's so rad in like 95 and then 96, 97. And then by 99, it's like, Ooh, this is getting tired. Yeah. And, and then think about like, you've got all that crossover going on in New York, but you've also got the youth crew stuff going on. And then a little bit more upstate, you've got life's blood going on, which is just raging punk hardcore, you know? Um, on the West Coast, you've got Hard Stance, you've got No for an Answer, um, and then Chain of Strength instead. Yeah, well, Chain of Strength records in '88, but they don't put it out to '89. Well, they start and play shows in '88. Yeah, definitely. I have my '88 uh, cheat sheet, which I did uh, just to irritate 
everyone. So here's what here's your eighty-eight cheat sheet, which may just put me over the top. True till death was recorded. Break down the walls comes out on We Bite on and Rev, so it goes way further. What a dick. Uh, <laughs> just can't hate enough was recorded in '88. Didn't come out till later. Uh, Alone in a Crowd 7-inch was recorded in 88, didn't come out till the next year. And Super Touch Live at WNYU is obviously recorded because it's WNYU in 88. And Ben, what were the best bass players of 1988? (laughs) It's funny. I have have something and I'm like, I can't say this. They're going to pick on me. But you open that door, Dan, so I'm going to say this. (laughs) Bad Brains Roar Tape recorded in 81. Zero Boys Vicious Circle LP recorded in 81. And Misfits Walk Among Us LP recorded in 81. There you go. Yeah, but those don't count. Mind Do you me. consider the Misfits a hardcore band, though? For real? Well, I think we're loose with... Um, well, 1.5. Okay. The thing is... <laughs> There's no such the, thing as 1.5. No, I'm just putting it out there. You know? It's like... <laughs> the we Misfit, celebrate punk as well. Yeah, yeah. It's a the hardcore Misfits, punk rock podcast. Right, exactly. A, th- that. But you, now that I'm on the spot, I wanted to say that Earth AD, <laughs> Earth AD is a hardcore record. So once they... For once sure. They, once they get Robo and they go ticka 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 on all their songs, they're a hardcore band, and, and they're trying to be a hardcore band, and it and it doesn't work that well. It's still a good record, but it's not as good as the stuff before. The stuff before, I I think of them as an island. I think there's a few bands like that, big big boys. Mm-hmm. Um, they're just the Minutemen, the Misfits, like they're islands unto themselves. They're so unique from everything else that's happening until they aren't. In the case of the Misfits. Well, I would dead, I, I would add Dead Kennedys to that. They're like an island band. But then, the, like Bedtime for Democracy, to me, it sounds like they're trying to keep up with like, oh, like oh, this is what everyone's doing. Digga, 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 digga. Then fair. again, I guess they're doing that in '81 as well. But like, definitely at the beginning, they are. I mean, at the beginning, they're so unique. Of course, fresh fruit for rotting vegetables. But like, the Misfits, they're just hard to nail down. And and no, I just I just think they're a band that came up in the hardcore scene kind of because they didn't come up in it. Like that was where the lane was. And I'm that's sure, where they could play shows. Yep. Yeah. But like, and I'm not saying they're like Guido core, but like maybe a little bit, but they're do up. They're definitely do up. Yeah. But they're, they're a unicorn. They're a fucking unicorn. They are yeah. unicorn. Perfect, perfect term terminology for a band like the misfits. And I had an Absolutely. argument about, unicorn. I, I had an argument <laughs> about the misfits with a pretty, well-known person in this whole universe, which is would which was basically him yelling at me. What about the fucking misfits? So you, yes. you should rename one point five unicorn. That's a great genre, <laughs> unicorn. But there's not there's too many in Ben's mind that are in that, so they can't be unicorns. <laughs> right. Hey, well, hey man, I can't think that way. I can't. You're opening up too much, Dan. Yeah, and the one thing I didn't say. I mean, I really want to get deeper onto this for 88. The side-by-side 7-inch comes out in 88. That's why you picked 88. Um, yeah, all that shit's awesome, but, like, can we real talk? Like, so what did... All these things are, like, a very narrow lane, right? Like, we inspired Madball, or we inspired bands that sounded like straight-edge bands? Like, is that that revolutionary? And Fugazi, cool. But, like, we're talking, like, it's pretty narrow, right? Like... Chain of strength, whatever we can we can go through those again. But like, are they really like 
doing that much or are they just codifying straight edge hardcore well it, it's the discussion that zach, zach just had it's like okay do you want something as a complete outlier and it it is its own thing and it's great and you want to celebrate that or do you want to celebrate the perfecting of a certain sound where arguably the best version of that has just come out like it it's all taste it's all opinion and it's all debatable um for me the side by side seven inch is the best straight ahead hardcore seven inch ever uh that is not minor threat <laughs> yeah so if you think it's the apex there is merit there but as far as For influential sure. 1988 battle Legion suffer i mean it blows everything wide open right like that's yeah that's just like lead to the punk rebirth yeah the the same as Suffer is is ground zero for a million other awful bands, Operation Ivy is ground zero for a million other awful bands. But it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't take away how good they are. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I That's just don't think uh, side by side was that influential for but oh, I'm not saying I'm not saying side by side is influential. They're influential to me. Oh, yeah. But I'm saying side by side is the perfection of what I like. It's synthesized on that seven inch with such like it, it just speaks to me. It's my favorite seven inch, you know? So I'm not saying that it it merits anything other than being perfect sounding hardcore. It also has like the most amazing slogan. You're only young once to so do it right is yeah. That's insane. Like to come up with that, that that's amazing branding. Seriously, right? I mean, all of their songs, like the time is now, like the way that they you know, take that youth crew mantra and then synthesize it with just a slightly harder edge, but it's yep. more urgent. That's what makes them just top notch for me. Daniel, Daniel, you just sold me on it. <laughs> Dive yeah, bombs there too. I mean, like if if you're looking for influence, like they are a a great one to harken back to. Like you can't really, if you modernize instead, it's going to come off cheesy. If you modernize side by side, you kind of have all the right elements there. You know, like there's only one instead that can do it right. You know, a side by side clone is not necessarily terrible, depending um, on who the people are. Instead, Bonds of Friendship comes out in 88, by the way, Zach. I think the 7-inch comes out in 88, no? Uh, uh, Dan's right. Yeah. Yeah, uh, but recorded in, uh, I believe, 86. <laughs> so what's up? All That's right, a good let's go to closing arguments. And let's oh, ahead. also, because I did say these records are notables, obviously there's some big missteps <laughs> that happen in 88, but I think that is a massive, important part of Hardcore is looking at the the failings of a once legendary band, you know? I think that's a huge point. Like the misstep, like the, uh, what do they call it? Departure records. I think those are really important. Yeah. So, I mean, Staring at the Sun comes out in 88. That is arguably the one that's talked about the most in the realm of that. Well, How We Rock or that, you know? Those are the two. That are are two. Like. Field Day. That's 88 as well. Field day. Yes. Yeah. yeah. 
and and but I, I don't think that's held I think that's more come into the conversation more in a modern sense that it's a legendary like ouch whereas staring at the sun and how we rock of ever since I've been in hardcore those have been known as the two like grab your collar and go uh. <laughs> I'm gonna interject right now break it up is trash how we rock is good Break I, I it up's way worse than Howie Rock. Break it up is way, it sounds like Nazareth. It's terrible. That, Howie fair. Rock. Howie, Howie Rock, Rock is Words that Kill. Fair. That's a good song. No, fair enough. And there's good songs on uh, Staring at the Sun, but they are kind oh, of absolutely. Like, they are examples of bands that come later of what not to do. And I mean, you have it now in kind of an extreme way. I feel like a lot of bands start like just throwing shit against the wall and see what sticks and. You know, the, if the early ones don't, they break up, and if something sticks, they stick with it. You know, yeah. You know, I think par- part of part of why I love 1981 is hardcore was too new for there to even be misstep records. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it just definitely. wasn't old enough mm-hmm. yet for people to be like, "I'm gonna do my prog record," even though I like that Bad Religion prog record, but that's '83. Yeah, one thing that has kind of come up to the fore in the 88 discussion too, which is interesting because you know what it birthed later on, which is pretty sickening. Uh, didn't The joke didn't stay that funny, but Judd Judd, Crucial Youth, and um, Project X all come out in 88, where Hardcore can kind of take a look at itself and, and laugh. Yeah. Not Judd Judd, Grudge, you mean, right? Judd Judd's like 90s. Yeah, the Judd yeah. Judd 90s. And the Judd Judd is actually fucking sure? hilarious. I've listened to it in the last year. And it. I remember thinking it was totally stupid, and now I listen to it, and I'm like, it's fucking a genie in a bottle, dude. It is really <laughs> good. It is just, so funny. Like, you, just, you just revealed yourself. You're old enough to get a vaccine for thinking that's funny. <laughs> I, I literally listened to it in the last, last year, me and my friend that I had over, like we, she usually comes over and we watch bad movies and I played the Judd Judd seven inch and we were cracking up the whole way through. It's so funny. I'm sorry. What's the Euro uh, youth crew one that we. Monkey, in monkey? monkey fellow. Yeah. That one's really good. That one's really good. I'm going to yeah. ride for cold Turkey. That's a good record. Yeah. That, that is a good point though, Dan, like the joke core starts. You know, yeah, it's not good. And what when's a straight youth? Is that eighty nine? Um, ninety. It wasn't on my on my eighty eight list, so it I, I went pretty deep on <laughs> what came out this year. So <laughs> ninety one. Okay. Yeah. Fast fingers from Veg. <laughs> <laughs> one of my favorites, which probably doesn't hold up because it wasn't done by queer folk is the gay gorilla biscuits that one was pretty funny when it came out in the in the parlance of it not being a mean joke it just changing the words to like almost a gay power thing but you know if it's not being done by queer folks it's it's not probably funny anymore Daniel wraps up the pot on an awkward note. <laughs> is there anything else you guys want to say to rap or should we get out of here? Um, is that just any, you go. No, you go. Cause you're 81. I'll, I'll come in at the end. 
Is anyone a Wipers fan here? Yes. I absolutely huge, love the Wipers. Huge Wiper for them. And They're the influential. Sage, the first Great Sage uh, solo LP I love. Oh, Youth of America LP comes out in 1981. That's pretty significant. I don't yeah, know. but that's like the their their weird sophomore record. I like the first and the third the most. Okay, fair enough. That one has a song on there that I swear it makes me feel like weird. Like I don't like it. Like I went to sleep to it once and I was like, oh God, I'm getting anxiety. Yeah, like, you dream, like, you dream about paper bags or something. Yeah, it's not cool. They do like a weird like chord progression and it just makes me feel like really anxious. Like, which is, I mean, a, a testament to good songwriting, right? I, he wrote something and I felt it, but like, I don't like the feeling. Some, sometimes the tone tonality also can make you feel weird. Yeah, yeah. but shout out the wipers. Okay, Dan, what did you want to wrap on? I just wanted to say that, you know, of all the points that have been made, I think the strongest one that all uh, you can have Air Jordans 1, 2, and 3 in 88, and all the 1980s made in Germany uh, Adidas delights from the terraces are also all available. So the footwear in 88 just trumps everything else. So therefore, 88 wins. When did Adidas come out? <laughs> when you bought them. I think I think you were patient zero. You should tell Anthony what Adidas are. Oh, you go ahead. I'll, I'll just I'll go stand in the corner. <laughs> Zach uh, Zach was our uh we did a West Coast run in the IC van and Zach was our driver slash uh roadie slash just hilarious uh a companion and he had shell toes that had four stripes <laughs> oh you got the imadidas dude that's amazing he, he adidas and also when he took them off it was like smelling nard all the way in seattle <laughs> yeah it was a great time in my life working at togo's making fucking 575 and dan uh actually he- working at two togo's don't uh downgrade yourself that's true that's because neither would give me 40 hours but uh whatever <laughs> I, I got through it. <laughs> so that's that. Uh, Anthony, anything you want to wrap on? Sure. 1985, Eddie Sutton, Leeway. Hope the dude is healthy. And that's it, man. Like, uh, let's help that fool out, you know? Yeah. Not fool, uh, person. Let's help Eddie Sutton out. Eddie Pomponio, important person. That's it. That's all I got. Yeah. PMA, PMA going out from everyone listening, I'm sure. That's yeah, right. just just I actually want to say like I chilled with Eddie a few times and that dude's just got an amazing mind. Like someone who thinks about music in a totally different spectrum, like he's almost like the David Lee Roth of hardcore in the best way. And I really like him and I hope he's going to be cool. That's all. Yeah, it's I, who's to blame by Leeway is a very Van Halen song and it is amazing because van halen is amazing so yes and uh for everyone listening there is a gofundme for eddie out there all you have to do is search it yeah so handle business people uh best year hardcore 2020 because retaliate 4 came out runner up 1986 and uh we'll talk to you again on monday